This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. your weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. I'm Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and pleased to be joined by our regular weekly panel for 2020-21, Steve Grant, at Steve Grant 193, Glenda at L1-10, and Dan Sheldon from The Athletic, at Dan Sheldon Sport. Evening, chaps, how are we all doing? Evening. Evening. Another week. Terrific. Another week, another week, yep. How's your week been, uh, Dan, busy? Yeah, very busy, thank you. Very busy, good. Plenty of stuff working on and coming up in the the near future and in the week ahead so yeah looking forward to the games now to be honest yeah getting back into the swing of things i was i was thinking about you uh, i couldn't have been more middle-aged this morning i can't believe i'm going to say this on the pod but i was uh jet washing my drive this morning whilst wearing a pair of shorts and wellies and i started thinking about you and uh thinking all about right. yeah getting back into that going through all those 1200 Dangerous. deaths that you have to go through and all that sort of thing yeah i apologize steve it was very middle class of me but and, and middle-aged probably but yeah was it a karcher <laughs> Let's move on anyway. So yeah, so what have you got coming up for us this week, Dan? Next week, today, as in Monday, will be a season preview. Basically just kind of looking ahead at what you know the season should look like for Saints, the pros and cons going into the season. On Wednesday, I think, I'll, it will be uh, an interview I've done with Martin Simmons, um should be going out there, um, which obviously ties in quite nicely with you guys speaking to him. And then later in the week, it's a best 11, basically just kind of debating the best 11 that Saints have at the moment and who Ralph should pick for the Palace game, really. So yeah, quite quite a few bits coming up and then working on something for the 
the week after, but I'll, I'll keep that under wraps for the minute and oh, nice. see how it goes. Yeah, no, excellent. All right, and uh, I won't dwell too much on the LD Sports piece that came out earlier this week, but if you haven't read it, I think uh, there's been a, a few quotes around from Dan's piece and that sort of thing. But yeah, an interesting uh, read about some of the work that Dan and the, the guys have done uh, investigating sort of the LD situation, which, uh, again, we'll talk to Martin Simmons a bit about uh, later on. Um, Steve, just briefly, your week uh, a bit up and down. Saints Web seems to be in a better place now, so that's good. Yeah, I'm not uh, not going to jump to any conclusions on that one because it, we've uh, we've been here before. But uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been okay for a whole three days. Um, <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. I know so, there's a lot yeah, of work that's going into it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the database is an absolute shambles, but it's down to the uh, down to the software providers. So we're kind of stuck in in that sense unless I can kind of work a way around it. But we'll see. But it's um it's been very stressful this week. Yeah, oh dear. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, Glenn, uh, we of course, as we'll uh, outline in a moment, had the the opportunity, the great opportunity, I should say, to speak with Saint CA Martin Simmons in the the latter part of the week as well. So did you enjoy that sort of reflecting back? Yeah, I did. I mean, as as people will hear later on, it's um it's a very good conversation. I was kind of laughing to myself while he was talking. Sometime, I just imagining what this would have been like with Nicola Cortese. Or um, he would have had you killed rather than actually talk, I'm sure. Um, and Ralph Kruger, who I'd have had to tell to shut up. <laughs> and it was quite, it, you know, it was it was just it was just quite nice to talk to a guy who was sort of relatively relatively normal, normal and open and honest about things. Yep. Um, and you know, I think that's a yeah. that's a big step forward for the club. So yeah, that was enjoyable. And from a football point of view, of course, it was all topped off by that uh, marvelous England performance last night. Which, uh, it was, it was, and we'll it's results on that business, yeah, yeah. It's a results business, and it's just as well because there was nothing else in that game that was any good. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. I know, I know. I, uh, I have to say, um, after the penalty had gone in for England, I sort of switched off because it was bath time here for the kids, and it was only when I got upstairs that I realised Iceland had missed the penalty. But there we go. Perhaps so, uh, for so that yeah, miss. but. Uh, he, he does indeed yeah there was a bit of uh, what was it Candreva wasn't it for Inter Milan that did that St Mary's and then Tadic yeah. missed didn't he do you remember that that was uh, Benocchia that was it that was it so yeah uh, well that uh, chat with Mr Simmons was part of a, a brand new feature we have on TSP for this coming season called Red and White Insight the name which was uh, chosen by our great TSP patrons via patreon.com slash Podcast. if all goes to plan each month we'll take a unique look at life inside our club through the eyes of the people who work there so whether it's the academy the women's team sports science media the Saints Foundation etc we'll hope to bring you a variety of stories successes and no doubt the odd challenge or two as well so we're both excited and grateful to be working with the club a little closer but fear not with Glenn and Steve on our panel you certainly don't need to worry about our honest assessments on Saints having to change the first edition of Red and White Insight will be later on in the pod although our patrons have all had 48 hours exclusive coverage of the chat with Mr Simmons because we uploaded it to Patreon on Friday for them now another feature that will be coming soon as we freshen up some of our offerings for this season is TSP's international supporters club with the help of our good friend Trevor down in Australia I've already reached out to several of the Saints supporters groups around the globe and we're looking forward to welcoming them on for a chat about following Saints remotely the local vibe and upcoming events and meets if you're an owner or member of a Saints supporters group outside of the UK then why not let me know via Total Saints Podcast at yahoo.com and we'll be delighted to get something set up during the season also don't forget our TSP FPL Fantasy Premier League which will kick off next week www.fantasy.premierleague.com and the league code just as a brief reminder N for November S for Sierra H for Hotel O for October, C for Charlie, and A for Alpha. It's free to enter, and the winner, wherever you are in the world, will pick up a trophy. 
Okay, on this week's pod, ahead of hearing from Mr. Simmons in the Red and White Insight, the four of us will be previewing Saints' return to Premier League action versus Crystal Palace next weekend. Before we do that, it's the fun bit where I put Glenn and Steve on the spot with some name pronunciations. Yes, it's time to shout out our second batch of TSP patrons, having kindly signed up via patreon.com slash Podcast to support us. Um, Glenn, Steve went first last week, so I thought I should absolutely make sure that uh, the shoe's on the other foot this week. So uh, are you right to go first with your batch? please absolutely can't wait right here we go so today's patron list that i'm reading out is matthew Keynes, mark bradford mark butler tony gibbon matt may tony allen charlie hawkins callum donnelly sean kershaw the limehouse podcast david stokes Ginny marshall and peter frost and in a curious echo of Steve's mispronunciation of an Italian-sounding name last week, <laughs> I've got someone mysteriously called Alphabetti Spaghetti. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's their real name. Yeah, yeah. It's like my old team um, when I was about... Well, I was about 11 years old. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just before we go on, uh, thanks for that, Glenn. Just before we go on, Steve, I think you and I between us, probably me more than you, we need, need to offer at Geo a, uh, an apology. I, I put the hyphen totally in the wrong place of his surname last week. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, trying to give me a, uh, some sort of phonetic sort of representation of it, I think, uh, just leave, uh, yeah, let us, uh, let us get on with it. So it's uh, George, Giorgio Spacagna. There you um, go. is there you go. is uh, I believe correct. Good, good. All um, right. Well, yeah, I'm so, taking yeah. sole responsibility for the surname mispronunciation on that one, Gio. And uh, you'll be pleased to know, Steve, your list hasn't got any hyphens in it for this week. So if you can read out your batch, that'll be brilliant, please. Yeah, no problem. So my list is John Tilbury, the user known as X Sandman 78, Jonathan Lynch, Ryan Taylor, George Galpin, Charlie Robertson, Richard Watts, Bill Bigwood, Brinsley Selekin, Mark Harper, Justin Woodward, Adam Baker, Mike Barry and Phil Cook. Brilliant job, Steve. Thank you very much. And uh, as I say, all of us here are very grateful to all of you mentioned. So thank you. I know uh, a few other patrons have uh, signed up this week. So uh, just for those that have uh, joined and the remaining ones, we'll be going through that final batch in next week's pod. So thank you also to patron Alistair Downs for uh, our very first Total Saints opinion piece, which you can find on our website www.totalsaints.co.uk Alistair who's a massive Saints fan based in New York has been busy as he's done another piece this week which we'll talk about briefly later on another article on Saints opening day Premier League woes let's call it that Uh, that's also on the website now so if you go on there you can have a read of uh, Alistair's work and finally just also want to say thanks to Dean Thompson another TSP patron who's based out in Hong Kong for the email that he sent this week as well and we'll also have a question later from Mark Fletcher for uh, Dan who's going to answer around Harris and read so mark thanks for sending your question in right let's go for it partner with saintsworld.co.uk and underpinned by our brilliant tsp patrons this is tsp 127 this is the total saints podcast with ben stanfield steve grant glenn delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Yes, just 49 days since last season finished. Saints will be back in action next weekend, away to Crystal Palace as the 2020-21 season kicks off. Dan, we briefly discussed it last week, but a great chance for Saints to start with a victory. 100%. Yeah, definitely. You know, Palace away. It's not the easiest game to go to, but Saints got a win there in January. They'll be full of confidence. Obviously, a couple of the players are with England at the moment. Prowsey, I'm sure, will be buzzing to get his first start. Ings will hope, be hoping to get a bit more action, I'm sure, in the next game. So they'll be coming back uh, 
full of optimism. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I'm sure most Southampton fans are. I'm obviously not a fan, but you know, I look forward to, to watching them play and yeah, bring it on really. Just briefly before I talk to Steve, Dan, what, what's the sort of plan this week? Again, we had a, a brief talk to you. I remember around that sort of time in the Norwich game about the testing and the certificates and all that sort of thing you, you have to do. So, Again, when I was thinking about you earlier and the, and the deaths and such, like, do you have to? Have you been going through that process during the summer, or does it kind of start again this week and you have to fill in a, a health and safety form or whatever you need to do, or what? Yeah, so I mean, when I was at the Echo, I'd obviously kind of apply for my own accreditation for each game, but at the Athletic, they, they, that's all done in, that's all done for you essentially. However, it's not yet known kind of how many places each publication is going to get. So during Project Restart, each paper or organisation only had one press pass. So we're not yet sure whether that's going to be the case going forward or not. I'm sure I'll find out later this week when it's all kind of confirmed if each organisation will get two or just the one. But yeah, I'm sure it'll be the same. There'll be sort of, I expect it to be the same as kind of Project Restart in the sense that there'll be temperature checks, filling out health forms, get your seat, stay in your seat and don't leave your seat until sort of you go home. Uh, I know that that the pre-match press conference will is that all going ahead via Zoom still? So I think it's going to be pretty much as the same as Project Restart for at least the next few weeks, I'd say. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, Steve, I, I was looking at the stats around this game because uh, the more that I've done the pod, the more that I've become a bit of a stato. And uh, it looks like a sort of catch-22, really, I think, as Alistair alluded to in his piece that's on the, the website. Because obviously Saints opening day record, as we know, over 21 Premier League seasons reads, play 21, 1-2, drawn 10, lost 9, scored 17, let in 29. So they've just taken, as Alistair uh, confirms, 16 points from 63. However, our recent record at Palace reads since returning to the Premier League in 2013-14, played 7, won 5, lost 2, um, including I think we've won our last 3 there, something like that. So, you know, it is really one that looks like, on stats uh, point of view anyway, could go either way. Yeah, I mean, we've we've historically had a, had a good record at, at Palace. I think even before um, sort of coming back up, in 2011, I don't think we'd ever lost a top flight game to them. So it's only sort of relatively recently that they've even managed to beat us twice. So yeah, I, I, I see no reason why we don't go into the game full of confidence. Nobody's really had a proper pre-season in terms of being able to play four or five friendlies to get yourself up to speed properly. I guess it'll, it'll come down to which teams actually had the most internationals away because they're, they're going to be the ones that are probably a little, going to be a little bit sharper. Obviously, Prowse played 90 minutes last night for England and you'd imagine given that he was, he was okay in that game and we don't really have another player for that position at the moment that he's probably going to start again in Copenhagen. So yeah, he's, he's going to be sharp. I mean, we, we know he's, pretty much the fittest player in in the squad anyway. Ings getting 20 minutes or so in Reykjavik was useful. And yeah, I mean, if he gets, not expecting him to start um, the Denmark game, but again, if he gets, if he gets minutes, then it's, it's obviously more, more minutes in, in the legs and yeah, it would be raring to go. But I think, I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing you, you look at Palace and think, oh, they're absolutely terrifying there. Zaha is obviously a good player and has caused us problems in the past, but he's also caused caused himself problems in the past against us, um, particularly when he comes up against um, against Ward Prowse. So I think, to be honest, with our with our away record last season, I think we probably go in, go into the game as favourites. Yeah, Glenn, I was going to ask um, sort of your opinion of Crystal Palace as a, a club these days, because um, you know as we mentioned last week, they've only added um, Eze from QPR so far, who you know admittedly does look a, a bright prospect, but their last five Premier League finishes read most recent first um, 14th 
12th, 11th, 14th and 15th. So alongside that, they of course ended last season with seven defeats in their final eight games, drawing that last game of the season uh, 1-1 against Spurs as well. So they're a club that sort of, you know, maybe don't enter this season in the best of form based on what happened the last few weeks ago. And as we say, kind of been in that sort of mid to, to lower half of the league for the last few years, really. Yeah, and they've, they've quite often started seasons appallingly as well. And, you know, with like five defeats in a row or something and then managed to haul themselves back into mid-table. And um, they've always managed to be relatively comfortable as far as I remember. They've, they've not they've never been in danger of going down on the last day or anything like that. They, they, they strike me as a team that's a, a, just very short on inspiration. And I think a lot of that comes from the manager. They've always been a bit like that, but Hodgson's not really an inspirational manager in my book. They, they've added, as they will make a difference, um, he'll... But will they be able to play like Zaha, Eze and Townsend? You know, I I don't know. So they always seem to be a little bit cautious. Um, we got a better chance of beating them at Selhurst because there's more onus on them to come out, even with even with no no crowd. They tend to do quite well against us at St Mary's, but up there we've we've managed to win the last few. I don't see any real reason why why this game will be any different. So hopefully we can go up there, and if we if we play anything like our best. I'm quite hopeful we'll come away with a with three points. Yeah, Steve, look, it's interesting. I, I wanted to pick up on um, Roy Hodgson because uh, look, I certainly don't intend any disrespect here, as uh, he's obviously managed some fantastic clubs since he started at Halmstad in 1976. So hopefully, for those that listen to the pod regularly, it doesn't come across like uh, you know the fact that we're being condescending or anything like that. But I think probably more of an interesting discussion point, Steve. But do you think you know he's obviously? I've, I, I looked up the stats of all the managers. He's 73 years old now, Hodgson. Um, do you think he can still? push Crystal Palace or you know any other Premier League side up the league uh, or forward for that matter or do you think it is potentially more of a, a sort of younger man or younger coach's game these days because I, I was looking at you know obviously managers like Arteta are 38 Scott Parker who's just got promoted is 39 they're the two youngest and you know they're almost half his age essentially and with a different generation of sort of young players and so much data and analytics involved and modern fitness techniques nutrition etc etc being such a, a big part of the game nowadays could, could Hodgson actually be one of the key reasons why Palace have maybe floundered in the lower echelons of the table um i think at times since he's been at palace i think he's possibly not helped himself by being a little bit overcautious but actually i would say that over the years hodson's actually been one of the more progressive managers wherever he's been a lot of the time sort of back in the back certainly back in the 80s when he and 70s and 80s in sweden when he was coming through like him he kind of defined the the swedish style of football for the best part of 10 20 years when he was at Malmo particularly. And I think he's been, he's probably been ahead of most British managers in terms of uh, nutrition and stuff. Obviously Arsene Wenger was kind of famously the first, the first manager to really sort of hammer it, hammer home the need for actually being fit to do your job, which seems absolutely incredible looking back at it now in the mid, in the mid nineties. And Hodgson was, Hodgson was doing that sort of stuff. Um, on the continent for for many many years before that, so I, I don't think the game has necessarily left left him behind. But I think the circumstances at Palace have have kind of hamstrung him a little bit. They've had very little money to spend, so as a result, you kind of you end up having to kind of stick put sticking plasters over things all the time. And so, I mean, one one um, sort of regular problem I've seen that Palace fans have complained about with Hodgson is that. Basically, whenever there's an opportunity to play more defensive midfielders, he will take that opportunity. So quite often their midfield will be packed with Kuyate, McCarthy and Milivojevic. 
And it's like, well, there's there's just no creativity in there apart from Milivojevic on set pieces. And as a result, you're then relying so heavily on your front three. Ayu hadn't really done an awful lot until midway through last season. Obviously, Zaha and Townsend, we know that they're both they're both capable, but they're both they're both pushing thirty now. Palace have got the oldest squad in in the division by some distance. So, I mean, the the sign actually the signs for them are slightly more positive now that they're looking to buy players like Ezzy, who they've obviously signed from QPR. Um, they were they were due to sign the right back from West Brom, I think, in January, but I think it fell through due to a medical. Yeah, um, yeah. But he was he was another youngster that they were looking at. So there's there's obviously been a noticeable change in what in the players that they're looking for. So I think if they can if they can keep going down that path, I think eventually they will get it right. And Hodgson's kind of a kind of in in a holding pattern job now, I think. Waiting for I mean he'll he'll progress and bring and try and bring a few young players through, hopefully. Um, from their perspective and then hand over the reins probably next summer I would imagine Dan the average age of the 20 Premier League managers um, I've already gone to town on my stats this week I feel like I've started the season on a crest of a wave here but uh, it'll be um, 51 and a half that'll be the average age of uh, Premier League managers this season uh, the current 20 that are starting and that includes Hodgson and obviously Lee's Marcello Bielsa at 65 uh, years old as well so Hazen Hootel's almost bang on that average because uh, Ralph's 53 years old of course but in your view, Dan, what do you think? I mean, would you want someone like Hodgson and his sort of, you know, Steve says, vast experience and man management at your club? Or would you potentially prefer a more modern style of coach? Maybe he's got some different ideas and techniques as, you know, I suppose Hodgson's, you know, essentially a different generation to those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it always comes down to, every, I think every fan of their club wants to play attractive style of football that sees them winning 4-0 every week. I may be wrong, but I think Crystal Palace had Sam Allardyce and they he resigned and they went yeah. for Frank de Boer. Yeah. Uh, obviously trying to chase that route of, you know, we can play better. And then they sacked him after a handful of games and Roy Hodgson came in, uh, basically had to save their season after just a, like a few games. Um, so there's always element of be careful what you wish for. I mean, I take your point on, you know, how far the game has gone in terms of nutrition and data and all of that. But Ralph is Ralph is not an expert on nutrition. They employ people that are experts on nutrition who then feed to Ralph. If you, excuse the pun um so you know that would be the same at palace i'm sure you know they will have a team of people that are kind of experts in that field that will all just feed into him all the data and all the stuff that he he needs firstly i think i was i think he was quite lucky to get the crystal palace job after how, how badly it went in england but you've, you've read out where they finished in the last few seasons you know what what more do they they kind of do i mean they're, they're staying in the premier league they're not spending the money to challenge for the europa league so i'd say he's probably going around the course at par yeah don't get me wrong managers are all the managers seem to be getting younger but i think experience still does pay but i think you know so i sort of agree with what steve said you know he's you get the sense that he's there kind of just holding it now don't you for them to make a change whether that was going to be this year or next year next year seems like the natural time to do so i mean no one's come in to buy Wilfred Zahar yet, so they may have him for another year uh, and then look to sort of move on next season. Well, but let's move back to, to Saints then, Dan. Um, without me putting too much of a curse on it, obviously, um, do you get the, the Saints, uh, and I know you need to catch up with Ralph later this week, and, you know, obviously we know that Salasu won't be ready for the start of the season, so it's likely to be the probably the same team that ended last season that will be, uh, you know, subject to international duty and everyone coming back fit and healthy that starts in the game. But do you get the sense from sort of the people you're speaking to that Saints are kind of ready for the season to, to start now, you know, sort of organised and maybe pumped up? Or, or do you think the international breakers maybe scuppered some of Ralph's plans with that? I think 
you know, it's probably come at an awkward time just so close to the season. But in terms of, I think Steve alluded, alluded to it earlier, and, you know, they're going to be getting in decent fitness work. It's not like they're going off on holiday and playing with players who aren't any good. You know, these are all internationals they're playing with. So I'm sure they'll come back and they're, it'll probably benefit them as opposed to the players that have been left behind. But no, from the people I've spoken to, Ralph is that passionate kind of guy. I think he's itching to kind of get started. I think the mood within the kind of dressing room, you know, they're all, I don't think they wanted last season to come to an end, really. I think they were quite quite happy to carry on. So they're itching to to get out there and hopefully they can, you know, it's such an awful record. I think I counted like three wins in the last 32 years on the opening day of the league campaign, which is just mad, really. So I think they're going to try and obviously put that right and get off to a strong start and then go into the next games that follow. But yeah, they're 100% looking forward to it. They, Especially Ralph. I, don't, I think he can't wait to get started. Mm. Yeah, and of course, Glenn, as uh, Steve alluded to earlier, um, assuming Prousey comes through his uh, international duty fit and healthy, a chance to renew his uh, friendship, let's call it that, with uh, Wilfred Zaha. It's uh, it's kind of a bizarre one, isn't it, that's kind of just increased, and obviously we certainly know the Palace fans are kind of taking Prousey on as this hate victim now and all that sort of thing, but uh, it's kind of this sort of snowballed into something a bit more than maybe it should have done after that incident at St Mary's. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a bizarre lot. Um, <laughs> I, I find that, I do find... I do find them sort of quite a bizarre fan base and I've, I've got a mate who's a Palace fan and he disagrees with me obviously but I, <laughs> I, I found yeah I, I found it a bit odd that they're so they were so sort of partisan that they couldn't see that Zaha was a bit of a tit and and I, I find that amazing bearing in mind he, he basically got himself sent off in that game at St Mary's um, the last game at Palace of course he Prouse was playing right back so there was a direct uh, confrontation there which won't be there this time but I'm sure that given the opportunity um, Prowse he's going to uh, venture over that side of the pitch at, yeah. at some <laughs> at some point and they're going to uh, they're going to come into contact and you know it's uh, it seems to be very easy for him in particular to get inside Zaha's head and it, it's all it's all part of the game because if Zaha's on it and mentally on it he's a very very good player but as soon as he starts losing his rag it's you know it's what it's what you say to kids when they're sort of eight years old if you start losing your rag then it's not going to end well and Wilfred Zaha is 28 and he doesn't seem to have learnt that and there's a reason he's still playing for Crystal Palace you know and and well there's several reasons but that's that's one of them he, you know he's much so uh, I'm sure he knows this he he's got to curb that sort of thing otherwise he's going to be retiring at Palace and that's going to be the end of that and I'm, I'm sure that's not what he wants just briefly to touch on England as well then Glenn um, as Steve uh, kind of said earlier you know before we do our predictions great to, to see Prousey get his first England start in Iceland uh, playing the full 90 minutes and arguably even better after all he's been through and those two really bad injuries to see Danny get his second cap play in the last 20-30 minutes or so um, how did you think they, they did the, the lads rather than England, I mean. I thought I thought Ward Prowse did pretty well. Uh, it was a, it was a kind of game where it, it was difficult to stand out in a positive way, and it was very easy to look bad. And and I, I thought you know he did okay. I saw some of the ratings in the papers were sort of seven out of ten, and I, I think that was kind of kind of fair. Yeah, he, he did okay. He didn't give the ball away. He was playing too far forward in the first half because receiving the ball with his back to goal on the half turn in the number 10 position is, is not his thing. He needs to be the one behind the ball playing the passes and stuff like that. Uh, in the second half, he played a little bit deeper. And for him personally, Walker getting sent off probably helped because he then had to play a little bit deeper again. Uh, yeah, and, and he did okay. And he, he certainly did enough to uh, 
to warrant another chance. He's probably only keeping the, the place warm for when Henderson gets back or Oxlade Chamberlain or someone like that. But you know, he he did he did pretty well. I think he can be quite happy with his uh, with his nice work. Um, Danny Ings came on, obviously went down to 10 men straight away and that made it more difficult for him we weren't really sort of like threading many balls through to him uh, I, I don't can't recall too many touches that he had yeah it's a it's a it's a great thing for him another confidence booster not that he needed one he seems to be a very confident lad anyway but yeah when he reflects on the the journey since the two injuries to get to this point where he's he's back in the england side is um will be a massive thing for him and uh yeah fair play to him and hope yeah as steve said hopefully he gets uh gets a bit more of a game against against denmark whenever it is a couple of yeah, days tuesday night yeah totally and just very briefly steve i, I suppose the good thing for both of them you, you know obviously there's tougher tests around the corner as you say there but at least they were both on the pitch and England won the game and therefore that will naturally reflect well on them because it wasn't like they, they lost the game or that last minute draw would have frustrated everyone, wouldn't it? So they kind of, you know, will be wrapped up into England won the game. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, they weren't they weren't part of us collapsing to lose to um, to a minnow um, that we were expected to roll over easily. I mean, Iceland aren't, aren't that anymore. I think um, everyone's realised. Everyone's finally realised that after um, after 2016 and them doing quite well in uh, 2018 as well. It was yeah. I mean they were they were both obviously a part part of a win that was hard earned really. I mean Iceland Iceland never really showed any ambition to get get out of their own half for the vast majority of the game, which which surprised me given the given the way that they'd played in previous years and certainly the way they played against us in Nice back in twenty sixteen. But and I think that, that kind of made it a little bit difficult. I mean it's it's bad it's hard enough playing against defensive minded teams um sort of in the middle of the season when you're when you're kind of up to up to speed. But doing it in what is effectively a pre-season when everyone's everyone's sort of half cooked just makes it even harder and it makes it makes everything look really slow and ponderous and I think Prousey did did as you say did a lot better second half when when he dropped a little bit deeper and was able to get on the ball a lot more as opposed to trying to find space in between lines that didn't really exist. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, as uh, you say, it'll uh, boost their confidence for uh, getting back in the, the Saints squad and everything. Um, right, let's do some predictions for Crystal Palace versus Saints. Opening day of the season and opening day of the TSP panel prediction league. Uh, as a reminder, three points you get for an exact prediction. So if you say Saints to win 3-0, they win 3-0, you get three points. It's one point for the right result, but incorrect score. So if you said that Saints were going to win 3-0 and they did win, but it was 2-1, for example, you'd get a point. And obviously, you don't get anything if we get it all wrong, which is, uh, of course, from my own point of view, finishing bottom of the table last year, the only way is up. Um, Dan, as our weekly guest, uh, you can start, you can kick things off for this season. So what do you reckon Crystal Palace versus Saints? I'll go with a 3-1 away win. 3-1 away win. Excellent. All right. Steve, what do you reckon? Uh, 2-0 win. 2-0 win. Excellent. All right. Glenn, you? 2-1 win. 2-1 win. Uh, obviously, I want to be as optimistic as I can be, um, but I'm looking at the uh, the opening day uh, record, so I'm going to sit on the fence and go for a one-all uh, opening day stalemate. Um, right, just finally, Dan, before we hear from Martin Simmons in Red and White Insight Edition 1, we had a question from Mark Fletcher a couple of days ago about Harrison Wee, which uh, I'd love to uh, get your thoughts on. Um, so Mark, who's a TSP patron, asked... I'm puzzled why there isn't more concern amongst Saints fans at the departure of Harrison Reed. Effectively, we had the chance to secure one of our last season's best performing midfielders in the championship for nothing, or more accurately, for an opportunity cost of £8 million. 
When we sold Pierre, many of us assumed we had in Reed a ready-made replacement. Surely Ralph knows how well Reed performed for Fulham. He seems a very good fit alongside James Ward-Prowse in the 4-2-2-2. We know Ralph likes Smallbone and he certainly looks promising, but he's unproven compared to Reed, who excelled through a long championship season. Final thought, it might be a pessimistic angle given our post-lockdown form, but should we really have allowed a non-Big Six Premier League rival to hold on to their best player when we could have just added him to our squad for nothing? So, I know you've got a view on that, Dan, and some sort of inside knowledge. So, um, what's the general thoughts on uh, Mark's question? Well, I think, first and foremost, obviously, no supporters kind of like to see academy players who haven't really been given a, a proper run in the team get sold. But I think, you know, it was good money. He was running, his contract was coming to an end, so... And eight million was always the kind of price that Saints were looking for for Reed. So when that bid came in and it was very much up to the player at that point, it's well, do you want to stay? Try your luck during another preseason, try and impress Ralph. Don't forget he was there last summer as well. Obviously didn't manage to catch enough of Ralph's eye because he went then went out on loan to Fulham. And perhaps do preseason here and sit on the bench, or do you want to go away and actually play first team football? And I think ultimately Reed is twenty five. He probably weighed that up, thought, Well, I can sit on the bench at Saints or I can go and play Premier League football for Fulham. So, you know, that's an easy decision for the, I'd, in my opinion, that would be an easy, easy one to make. He knows everyone at Fulham, he knows the manager, so he's got a good chance of playing a decent amount of games alongside Glenn's favourite, Mario Lamina. Lamina will probably keep him out of the team. <laughs> Sure, it's going to be a, a midfield match in heaven, a match made in heaven, should I say. But you think, you know, you look at his, you know, his Saints time and, you know, I think his last appearance came in 2017. You've also got to think as well, in terms of the player, you know, every summer he was coming back to do the same thing. Uh, at some point, you, I think you just have to accept that perhaps it is time to, to move on and try and prove myself. Football is a short career. He's probably got another 10, 12 years ahead of him. Sounds like a lot. You could argue that, well, he spent the last kind of three, four, five years in limbo. Um, I know he obviously played a, a run of games. I think I can't remember when he actually made his debut. I think it was around sort of 2012, 2013 time. He sort yeah. of played a run of games. But then, you know, if your last appearance for your parents' side is coming in 2017, the writing is kind of on the wall. And for Saints, it's a good it's a good price. You know, it's allowed them to kind of go into the transfer the transfer window. They obviously want to bring in another midfielder. Now, there's an argument there for whether that should have been they should have one lined up already. It was no secret that Pierre was going to go. And obviously there was a desire to get Lamina gone. He's gone. So they've, they've done what they wanted to there. From speaking to people at the club, it's a case of, well, you know, there, it's a long transfer window. We've got until kind of the start of October to, to get something sorted. So we're confident we will. Um, but yeah, the move for Reed was work. It suited all parties, which I think is the important thing in a transfer. I'm not sure, obviously, you guys obviously have more of an affinity with local players coming through so I'd like to know your kind of thoughts whether it was a, a wasted opportunity by Saints but in my opinion yeah I think it was the right move he wanted to go was he going to play at Saints every week probably not so you can't blame him yeah no, I, not I, I, I think just briefly Glenn I'll, I'll just come to you just briefly to finish but I think in my view Dan it's a shame to see him go and obviously I wish him all the best and I think potentially he could have done a job for us but you know what I would reflect on is the fact that we've had Coman, Hughes, Pellegrino, Puel, Ralph, etc., etc. None of them have really fancied him, so there's obviously something there that isn't quite, you know, from a Saints point of view, seem to be clicking. But Glenn, I don't know what your uh, view is. Just briefly, if I was him, I would have left the second that we signed Jordi Classy because there was no way that the two of them were going to play in the same midfield because they, they were just, you know, too too similar, too small, whatever. They, it was very very unlikely those two were going to play together um he was about 21 at that point 
and that's when you should be looking to to sort of break through. So he's been, as far as we're concerned, you know, as far as Saints are concerned, he's been kind of treading water the last three years, going out on loan to various clubs. Um, I don't blame him in the slightest for for wanting to leave. Um, from our point of view, it's an economic decision. Um, if we'd have if we'd have had him in our squad this season, if he hadn't played much up until Christmas, we'd have then be looking to sell him because he wouldn't have been signing a new contract at the, you know, at the end of the year. So we'd have been looking to sell him in January and then we'd have been getting two million or, or three million. So yeah, it does, it does make sense from a, from a financial point of view, regardless of how, how well you think he would have done. He, and unless he would have been starting every game, there's no way he would have signed a new contract. So he probably would have walked away for nothing at the end of the season anyway. So uh, no, good luck to the guy. I hope he, I hope he does well. And uh, yeah, we, we, do, we do need to address that area in the team, but I never really, or, or that area in the squad, but I, I never really thought it was realistic that Harrison Reed would come back and uh, be a first team player for us next season. So good luck to the guy. Totally. Well, thanks for the answer, Dan. Thanks for your views as well, Glenn. Hopefully that answers the question, Mark. Um, right. As mentioned earlier, last week, Glenn and I had the opportunity to speak to Martin Simmons, the CEO at Saints, keen not to duplicate too many recent radio salient questions. So, for example, not dwelling on fans coming back into the ground and uh, the kit uh, situation and that sort of thing. Here's how we got on in our very first TSP Red and White Insight, Life Inside Our Club. Saints podcast, Red and White Insight. As I mentioned in the intro, we're delighted to have a brand new feature on Total Saints podcast this season called Red and White Insight. The monthly offering will provide a unique look at life inside our club through the eyes of the people that work there. In this, our very first edition of Red and White Insight and ahead of the new season starting, we're delighted to welcome Saints CEO Martin Simmons. Martin, before we get going, thank you so much for giving up some of your valuable time to join us today. No problem, Ben. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, look, we plan to have a, a chat through a few different subjects with you on and off the pitch. But before we get on to those, let's chat a bit about the summer and the, the last 12 months, Martin. Um, working as a, a CEO in the football world, do you get much of a break over the summer? Or is it generally one of the busier periods of uh, the year when, you know, the phone's continually ringing and things like that? Yeah, I don't think you get much of a break um, normally, but certainly in this summer that, that wasn't really possible. I think in a normal year you have a, a reasonable amount of time where the phone will be ringing, but we could probably get away. But I think in this year with the pandemic and everything going on, it's been um, busier than ever, but I'm sure it's for most people, to be honest. Yeah, and like most seasons, 2019-20 was quite the roller coaster for Saints. Of course, on the pitch we had a, yeah. a dreadful autumn, a brilliant Christmas and New Year period, a, a slower start to 2020, and then a, a wonderful post-lockdown run to finish 11th. Um, off the pitch, of course, as you just mentioned, we have one of the biggest challenges to ever hit humans, coronavirus, and I'm sure the impact of that, in more ways than one, will continue for many months to come. But from your point of view, Martin, your overall reflections of the last 12 months with Saints... Yeah, interesting question. I, I think um, I think it'll be when I retired, I'll look back on this year and try and get my head around it. But I think your, your question was the right answer, which was it was just a really strange, intensive period of ups and downs. And um, I think you, you reflect on the two biggest issues. One was, was losing that game 9-0, which we, we don't mind talking about, because I think that led to us getting better. And I think without it, we wouldn't be where we are today. And then this incredibly intensive process of going through the pandemic, which was difficult for the whole country but that's sort of strange for us it was very different from what i think we were expecting um so i think you know we can reflect on both i think the intensity of what went on in the autumn leading through to 
Christmas period and then into early January was, was just an extraordinary process. I think led to us being able to make clear decisions. So Ralph and I had really begun to talk about wanting to make some changes and wanting to change the way we're operating behind the scenes, which would then lead to a change on the pitch. And then when you lose 9-0, you kind of look at each other and go, if not now, then when? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think it led us to be able to make those changes quicker. And I think, as I said publicly before, the next day, there were some conversations held, which were sort of saying, right, we're going this direction now. And if you don't like it, jump off the bus. And there's no time to have a debate about it. Now is the moment we're going in this direction. Mm. And I think people reacted well to that. And then I think you sort of overlay the pandemic on it. Um, once we had you know, done better on the pitch, that actually accelerated that process. So again, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about Ralph as we go through today's chat, yeah. but he, he is an intensive character. And where most people were floundering and thinking, what, what do we do now that everyone's been sent home? Ralph's first instinct was, how do we get better? Yeah. And really the first conversation we had once we'd worked out the real situation we're in was, how, how do we improve here? And I think we kind of set out you know, two or three clear priorities. I guess the first one was how do we look after our community and our people and the city of Southampton? And that was important. And the second one, which I think people forget, is we have around 400 staff who needed to be made safe and they've all got real jobs and real mortgages and parents to look after and kids to pay for. And that was also important to make sure we do that right. But then after that, I think our objective was really, again, driven by Ralph a bit, just to say, how how do we come back better? And I think at that point, we thought we'd be back in about four or five weeks, and it turned out to be a lot longer than that. But how, how do we come back better? How do we make ourselves stronger? And, and we really split that into two areas, really, in terms of the long-term planning bit, which is public, which is we built this playbook, which was all about saying how are we going to be better in the future in coaching and scouting and recruitment and everything, which we did. Yep. Um, but then also, how do we get more organized? How do we, from a competitive point of view, come back better? And, and I think that's the bit which is worth unpacking a bit. So. There's no way as a Premier League football team you go through a pandemic and come out stronger, um, financially more capable or anything like that. But you can come out competitively better, right? So if you mm. fall back a little bit and everybody else falls back a bit further, then you can come out swinging and, and doing better. And I think that's what we focused on. So we tried to get organised quicker. We tried to get our medical people and our fitness people and the sort of operational people to take care of our players better um, than everybody else. And that's what would lead to results on the pitch. And that was a bit of a a belief moment where we went, I think if we do all these things, we'll come back and we'll, we'll start winning. Um, and in the short term, you know, it's worked. So I think without the 9-0, without the pandemic, we'd be in a very different position today. None of us know where, where that would be. But at the moment, I think we feel pretty comfortable that we are organised with a plan about where we're going. Martin, do you, do you feel like you've learned about yourself during this period? And have you had to adapt your sort of style of leadership at all, bearing in mind everything that's gone on? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I think a lot of people have been changed in their personal life and work life. I think um, probably for me, an acceleration. So I was relatively new in the job. Uh, and unless you're a megalomaniac, you, you kind of look at it and go, am I good enough? Have I got the ability? Have I got the experience? And the things that went on in the autumn and then the pandemic lead you to a position where you have to find out quickly, right? So your, your learning and your acceleration comes quicker, I think. And then I think I think two things became clear during the pandemic side of it. And I think one of them was about responsibility. So a lot of people say to me privately, oh, you know, didn't you do a good job staying calm and kind of managing through that? And and I always say the same thing back, which is when you're in that position and you're in a position of leadership, you've got no choice. You know, you can't go home and watch Netflix and play FIFA and hope for the best. You've actually got to make the decision. So I think in, in sometimes it's actually easier in crisis to be a leader than 
when it's going well, because then you can hide a bit and you can just sort of sit back and go, well, everything's fine. But when it is a disaster and things go wrong and you lose a game 9-0 or you go through a pandemic, you've got to be the one that steps forward. So I think in some ways that, that actually sort of helped me, you know, get a grip of it and make sure we're going in the right direction. And then I think the big, the big learning that I personally have received, I think, is that you need clarity and you need a plan to manage a professional football team. And I think it's obvious if you look at the data, you know, everybody can't have the same plan. So there is no perfect science. It's not a science where you go to win football matches, you must do A, B, C and D. You've got to have your own plan and you've got to commit to it. And I think that's what we did well after the Leicester game and did better even in the pandemic. We said, right, this is our plan. This is where we're going. And then it's about defining it, executing it and making sure you don't deviate. And if you lose a game, you don't go, oh, we're not doing that anymore. Or you win a few games and you think, oh, we'll go and buy Lionel Messi and everything will get even better. You've got to stick to your plan and your principles. And, and I think that's what I've probably learned as an individual. I think the club has probably learned it. And I think Ralph reinforces it because he's so clear in his head about where he wants to be and where he wants to get at the end. And, that, and that's a very easy thing to work with, I think. Just before we move on to talk about Ralph and, and sort of some of the ownership, Martin, um, one of the other major successes during lockdown, above and beyond the brilliant work that they already do for the city, of course, was the tremendous service the Saints Foundation provided to the, the people who needed it most around the city, delivering prescriptions, working with Fair Share to distribute food, etc. Um, you know, how proud were you of that work and the, the way it reflects on the club as a whole? Yeah, exceptionally proud. And um, it seems so obvious at the time that your, your connection with your fans is really through playing a game on a Saturday or the foundation. And when you lose that fans coming into the stadium, the foundation is the only connection you've got. So it seems a very obvious thing to focus on. And then suddenly you do realise the, the pressure the city's under and how difficult people are finding it. And, and I know you've had Greg on the programme before, sure. unbelievable leader and passionate about the city. So, you know, I think we did a very good job. I think it's a job that we had to do. It wasn't something that we did beyond what our expectations um, were or should be. But I think the really positive bit for me is it, it, it rebuilt a few um, bridges that might have been knocked down over the last 10 years and, and rebuilt that connection. And I, and I think I said in that program thing I wrote after the lockdown, we have to take this opportunity to rebuild that relationship with the fans and vice versa and make sure that we truly understand we're running a club for the fans of the city and around the world and not for ourselves mm. and also show them that that's what we want to do. And hopefully the fans will come back and see that they contribute in the stadium by staying positive when the ball's passed backwards and try and rebuild that relationship. And the foundation is one of only a few levers we've got to do that. So they did a very good job. Yeah, we're going to uh, concentrate on some off-the-pitch issues now, Martin. How important and exciting was it to get Ralph's commitment for another four years? And how has your relationship evolved with him over the last 18 months? Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's very important to have Ralph committed um, to the future. Uh, I think go back to what I said before, which is, it's about having clarity and a commitment to a plan. And then you must have a leader that, that believes in that plan and is either the architect of it or, or in total belief. And, and I think he's both. So, uh, you know, we, we developed a relationship, I think, properly after that difficult phase in October where we, we looked at each other and went, we need a plan here. And yeah. I think we, we built a plan together that worked. But I think also the trust comes from, you know, I said to him, these are the things that I'm going to do for you. And then when you do them and it works out, then the trust comes. You can't just sort of buy trust. You have to earn it over time. So yeah. I think it's very important. I think the other thing that's worth you know, saying to our fans is, you know, we didn't have to convince Ralph to sign a new contract. I think once he saw what the club could do to help him get better and it had a real belief and sort of ambition for the future, you know, he, he really sort of came to us and said, you know, this is the project I want to be part of now. 
Um, so, so the negotiations on the contract were, uh, you know, incredibly short and incredibly easy to do. You know, it wasn't hard to convince him he wants to be part of this project. And I think then onto the relationship bit, I think it comes again from this shared plan. You know, we, we have a very, very clear plan of what we're trying to achieve and we both agree on it completely, but we also get our roles. You know, we, we understand he's got a role that's very different from mine. We both get on with them, but we have the same outcome in terms of we're both trying to achieve the same thing. Um, and like I said, I think there's that trust there where he believes what I'm telling him and he believes when I say we can't do that or we can do that, he believes it because we follow through on that. Mm. And I think that can only sort of happen over time but but having him at the head of this organization is the most critical thing we need to do because we are going in a certain direction and there are not many managers in the world that could go in that direction in my opinion so with the board and ralph having agreed a four-year deal where do you see the club being at the end of that four years yeah i think moving forward uh i probably can answer that in two different ways so if you ask ralph that question he, he believes that success and winning is about moving forward so I have had a private conversation with him, which I'll sort of relay, which is, you know, if you go to Liverpool, let's say he went to Liverpool now and he won the league this season, I'm not sure whether you see that as winning, right? Because they've already done that. So I think he sees success and winning as pushing our club forward and being more successful and pushing up the league and developing great players and then, you know, getting to, to a level of success that, that, that we can talk about in a minute. So I think that's the way he sees it. I think the way the club sees it, from a strategy point of view, is, is, is relatively straightforward, which is we see this vision of finishing within a group of clubs that allow us to move forward. So I think we've openly talked about, we have a piece of paper written down in my office that talks about finishing between 12th and 7th every year. And that's not about finishing in those positions. It's about being in those positions so you can plan for the future. So to give you a, a clear example, you finish 17th in the league and you just beat Swansea by Gabby Dini Shinpad goal. <laughs> The, the yeah. first week at the end of the season, you're in crisis meetings and worrying about the future and everybody's head spinning. At the end of this season, because we're doing well, that first morning after that last game, we spent four hours talking about what we're going to do in three years' time and how we're going to build for the future. Mm. So finishing in that middle group allows you to plan for the future, to invest in the future, to think about growth, and then allows you to then move to the future, move further up the table in the future. I think in four years' time, that's what we hope for, to consistently finish in that group and then be able to set our, our heights a bit higher. But to be absolutely clear to the fans, because I'm fully aware of what people say about that, which is, aren't you then setting your sights on mid-table? We're not doing that at all. But the plan says, if you consistently finish between 12th and 7th on your year, when things go well and Danny Ings scores 25 goals and another team have a bad year, you can slip into 5th mm. or 4th, and then you're in Europe, and then you go from there. If you finish in 17th, 16th, 14th, 17th, you cannot ever be successful in this league because you can't plan, you can't invest, the players won't stay, you can't attract the right players. Even a short period, because we're only really successful in four or five months this year in terms of football, even that period has meant that players want to sign new contracts and really top-level players want to come to the club. So if you consistently do that, you will be able to build. If you don't, you'll yeah. be going backwards. So, so that's really how we see it going forward. Changing tack slightly, um, Matt Crocker started back at the club earlier in 2020 as director of football operations. Uh, obviously, his work is more geared towards the longer term, but are we seeing benefits already? Yeah, yeah, we are definitely. Um, uh, you know, Matt's a fully, fully experienced educational person within football, and you need that. So Matt's background was he spent six or seven years um, with the club, you know, in the academy developing young people, which is our core 
expertise. He then went off to England and was part of a group of people that led England to success in all age groups. So he's got unbelievable experience, both of our club developing young people, but also the best young English players um, in the country. So he really does have that first-hand experience, which is obviously very helpful. So, but, but let's just be clear on what his role is. Okay, so we, we have a plan, we have a strategy that's set for the club. That plan is set centrally. Ralph has an input, I have an input, Matt has an input, Toby and the board have an input from a financial perspective. Where, where are we going? And then Matt's role is to make sure that we, I guess, provide and produce the best environment possible to that plan to make sure that Ralph is successful, the first team is successful, every level of age group is successful, the women girls team is successful. His role is to be part of the strategy of setting it, but not the setter, but to be the person that executes every tiny detail. So his role from a day-to-day is making sure that we're hitting those standards on a day-to-day basis to make sure we're successful now and in the future and not as an individual to set the path. So, so we have a, well, I should say probably I have a pretty strong view that if you end up with one individual leading a football department or any department, that can go wrong. You know, you can have a great person doing it and then two years later they get a bit confused or they make a mistake. And if you have a collective group of people setting strategy, but individual people with real control over the execution, then I think that's the best way to, to sort of lead a football club forward. Now, just briefly to touch on Mr. Gow and the ownership, Martin, um, understanding that obviously we know he remains a private person and I'm sure you'll reiterate, as you have done many times, that you know he's fully committed to Saints. But I suppose it's, it's about understanding also what you know his strategy is. And you've obviously mentioned previously that you speak to him several times a week, but there's there's a fair bit of tension around. I think we can probably call it at the moment between the UK and China in general. You know, We've seen things like the Huawei situation, the Premier League versus... PP uh, TV deal obviously being scrapped earlier this week, the general sort of financial uh, investment challenges and things like that. So in, in your view, does Mr. Gow really still see the football club as a, a mid to long term viable business opportunity? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to exactly what the long term future will be, but I, I'll say again, the clear things I've said before, but then maybe talk a bit, bit more about strategy because we have a bit more time. So, mm. so I think Mr. Gow is in a tricky position um, you know, with the Chinese market, uh, particularly since the pandemic came, uh, as we've seen with the Premier League yesterday, there's no doubt, there's no point, you know, hiding from that issue. It's a very tricky one. What I can say about Mr. Gao is he's supportive, he's warm, he's a really interesting and decent guy. Um, he supports me to run the club, but he doesn't, you know, actively get involved in the decision making that we, we make, you know, and, and I think that's a good thing. We're, we're not, uh, you know, we're making big decisions today. I'm not involving him and asking his questions on them all day long. It allows us freedom and clarity to, make decisions after losing 9-0 to Leicester that are clear. We don't have to go through nine levels of, of construct to make those decisions. And I think that's the most positive part of it. Mm. Um, and they're good people and they trust and they believe in, in what we're doing. So from, I think it's important to say to the fans, you know, there isn't a problem here. It's not something which is in the way and creating a problem. But on the other hand, you know, there isn't any money coming out of China. There is no investment and we don't hide from that either. Mm. Our, our model for a long time has been self-sustainability and making sure that we spend, you know, what we raise. And, and we can all argue whether that's a good model or a bad model, but it, but it is where we are. and It's what we're working with for now. You know, again, going back to strategy briefly, I don't want to bore everybody, but I think, you know, we do have a common route from ownership through me and to then the other guys that run the department. So we, we have a clear view on what we're trying to do. And it might be interesting just to, to set that out for everybody so they can hear it, which is, you know, we now have a style of play, high pressing, high energy, but using the ball more style of play, we absolutely need to build that through every level from the six-year-olds to the 28-year-olds. We have to get recruitment and selling of players to fit in with that model. 
we are then about developing young people, whether we buy them or not, and pushing them through the team. And we want to push ourselves up the league. And, and it's not really much more complicated than that. So if you think about it from Mr. Gow's lens, he believes in the Southampton way, developing young players and, and really taking a 21-year-old like Salasu, bringing him into the team, developing him and making him better mm. rather than buying Gary Cahill. That's our model. He yeah. buys into that. We buy into that. And then it's up down to us to see whether we can actually finish in the top eight or the top seven or the top six. It's not really down to him. Um, and then that leaves you only really with the investment discussion, which is, you know, where's the money coming from? And at the moment, the money comes from what we generate as a business, you know, like a normal business would do, I guess. Mm, no, no, it's a good answer. Yeah. Thank you, Martin. And just finally, a um, couple of questions just briefly about, um, and I'm sure you're probably bored of it, and I don't want to duplicate any questions that The Athletic have asked or Radio Solent asked you last week about the sponsorship side of things, Martin. But um, I think it would be probably naive for us to completely bypass it, given it's been in the news so much the last 10 days or so. Um, look, as a fan speaking, lots of us, I think, raised eyebrows last summer when Aldi Sports, this apparent sort of mythical company were confirmed as the club's main sponsor you've been quoted by Dan and the Athletic this week as saying Saints fans had quote been proven right because LD Sports turned out to not be a very good partner for us following the pandemic and then you also said quote you have to have empathy for a business at this time but we don't have empathy for the lack of communication and conversations regarding the contract um, to be fair to Saints obviously Espanol and Spain have also been left in a similar position and uh, as I understand it's still looking for a new sponsor themselves so we're one step ahead on that but the question I have Martin is did Saints truly do their due diligence on LD Sports and see them as a viable long-term business partner therefore potentially surprised by what's happened or was it more a case of a lack of due diligence and attractive sum of money and the partnership almost being forced upon the club because of where the owners based and the fact that we wanted to develop that market? Yeah sure and, and to fair to Dan you know not everybody reads his um, article so it probably is just worth covering it so everybody hears mm. it so so let's answer the direct question the best we can. So, you know, did we did we do the work we needed to do to check them out? Yes, we did. You know, were we aware they were a brand new company that, um, you know, didn't have a, a track history of a, you know, a Coca-Cola or a Sky Television? Yeah, absolutely, we were. Um, so it was a sponsor that we took from the China market that we don't know so well, but our owner does. Um, we checked them out to the viewpoint of, did they have any history of doing anything that we didn't like or that was illegal or... Uh, immoral and they didn't could they pay yes and did they pay yes so so from that viewpoint you know let's be 100 clear they were actually quite a good partner for us in terms of finances and in terms of letting us get on and operate our business and not getting in the way of it and i think personally had the pandemic um, not come it probably would have gone on like that um but i think the pandemic really hurt their business the bit that we're uncomfortable with is i do not know a partner of ours or a supplier of ours or a friend of mine who runs a business who's not had a problem and they've all called us and they've all asked for help and they've all you know negotiated with us these guys didn't do that they, they kind of cut and run a bit and we don't have respect for that and therefore we're dealing with that in an appropriate manner mm. but but like i'm saying i do have empathy for any business that's struggling because we are and everybody is to cope with the changing world so had they had a conversation and said look we're really struggling here we need help we would have dealt with that but they didn't do that and they left us in the lurch. So mm. I think, you know, there's two things I want to be clear about. One is that it is not connected to Mr. Gao. I can see why everyone thinks it is, but it isn't. It's a different company. It's connected because it's the same country. And we probably wouldn't have gone with it if Mr. Gao wasn't our owner because we believe in China and trying to develop that market. Mm. So that's important. And then the second part is what we pride ourselves on is being, you know, good at what we do and seeing the problems and operating. And we managed to do that. Um, and we managed to work out it wasn't going to work, end that relationship, get another one and move on. And I think that's 
that's all we have to do. I saw something funny on social media where another club posted, how come Southampton have got a sponsor, printed the shirts, got rid of them, got another one, printed more shirts, and we still, we still don't have one. And although we shouldn't laugh at things like that, yeah. you know, that, that's who we are. We pride ourselves on, on being quick and being good at what we do to make sure the club's okay. Um, and I also know that everybody's not thrilled with the betting sponsor and, and we totally mm-hmm. understand and respect that too. But in the end, we have to make the decisions that allow us to be okay for the season. And that's the decision we had, we had to make. So, so I'm comfortable where we've ended up, but I'm not hiding from the fact that we were pretty upset with our main sponsor just kind of cutting and running a couple of weeks before the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And briefly, Martin, just finally, I mean, with the season just over a week away, obviously we know that there was troubles with the, the kit last season all that sort of thing so how much has this been a, a, a you know an unwanted distraction almost I guess because as I say you've obviously mentioned about the apparent legal action which I'm sure is going to take time and resource from the club that could be spent on other things as well as as well as the sort of logistics of having to sort the kits out that have already been distributed and things like that as well so not ideal timing by any uh, stretch of the imagination no it isn't um, and but that's why we structured the way we are right so we have experts in, in every area we have an expert lawyer an expert commercial negotiator so yes it does take up my time to um to, to get these things sorted but we have experts to do it and ralph and the team the interaction with it is zero they don't need to know about it that we, we inform them we don't involve them so there's no distraction but you know through the pandemic how many times have i gone home one night and gone oh we cracked that one and then in the morning i wake up and there's another one i mean it's almost every week um but probably there's one or two more to come being being transparent but we'll deal with it and we are if anything, structured with really professional people. And some people have sometimes questioned, you know, have you got too much resource and too many high quality people? Where through the pandemic, it's um, important to have those people. But it's not a distraction to the team. Hmm. Uh, it's a real distraction to me and my ability to watch Netflix on a Friday night, but, but not, not to Ralph and winning the games. Okay, we'll move on to on the pitch issues now. Yeah. We invested in the key area that needed needed investment, which was the defence. I don't think anyone would have uh, disagreed with that. Um, how important was it for the club to get the Carl Walker-Peters and Mohamed Salasu signings completed as early as you did? Yeah, I think I think that was a very deliberate decision. So, again, to provide some clarity, as we reached the end of the games in, I guess it was July, wasn't it, when we finished, we, we made a, a, a decision with no idea whether it was the right one or not, but we made a decision to move quickly. So it was very transparent that the transfer market is going to be different, a little bit disruptive, and no one really knows still where it's going to end up on the last day and whether you're going to be able to get great deals in that last week. And Messi will be moving for half a million pounds to, to Watford. You, you just don't know where we're going to go. But we made a decision based on the fact that our team was now winning, our team was now happy and developing in a really strong way. So we made, I guess, two, two core decisions. One is we don't need to change the team that much. And those 11 or those 16 or however many players deserve the right to start next season on September the 12th because I think they're a good team. So we didn't need to make massive changes, but we also needed to do a couple of things to make sure the team were you know, stable and continuing to win next year. So getting Kyle in, uh, we needed a right back because Cedric is gone. Kyle's done a great job, so that was our number one target and we were able to do that. It takes a little bit of time um, with our friends at Tottenham, but, but we got there in the end. <laughs> and then we needed a new centre-back because Meyer and Kevin had gone. So we had to get a new centre-back Salasu was our top target for a long time. With absolutely high quality, we hope, Rolls-Royce of a young centre-back um, from Europe. But I think, again, it's important to tell people that he is a young player um, who will yeah. need time to develop to become the best in the Premier League. And, and you won't see him starting the first game of the season. He needs time physically um, to get ready to, to compete in our team. 
but we really hope soon that he'll be making a big contribution. But I think it's important to tell everybody that, you know, we will start pretty much close to the team we had last year because they deserve it. And there's no reason to think that we need to change that. And what we're doing is adding quality um, around the team for, you know, this season and the seasons in, in the future. If you ever listen yeah. to the pod regularly, Martin, you'll be no Glenn was very disappointed that Cedric left. But uh, let, anyway, let's move on quickly. Yeah. But, <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> um, but let's just, um, talking about... Um, James Ward-Prowse, Martin, um, look, obviously he signed a, a brand new five-year deal during the summer as well, which should take his time with the club to incredibly over 20 years. Um, as a leader yourself, as we kind of discussed earlier, how do you see his leadership developing? And given the way the club is trying to evolve after losing its way for a while, as you kind of mentioned earlier, do you think Prowse almost epitomises everything we want to be as we move forward? You know, an academy graduate, hardworking, reliable. As I mentioned at the end of last season, he played 98.7% of our entire season last year. And obviously, probably most importantly in this day and age, a perfect role model on and off the pitch. Yeah, I think I think you answered your own question there. Absolutely, that's how we see it. Um, obviously, as the season went on, it became, you know, clear that we wanted to go in a different direction uh, in lots of aspects on the pitch, and 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 James was a big part of that. Uh, and I sort of remember the day that Ralph and I talked about it and went, "This is the obvious decision." It was just a moment of when we were going to do it. Um, so yeah, so I think having somebody who's come through the academy, who has played in the England underage groups, who has worked hard. All that's important, but it's not really about that. I think it's about the fact that he is the most professional, the most hardworking. He hasn't always been in the team. When he's not in the team, he's worked harder. And he's the kind of player that, uh, you know, when you are not comfortable with something he's done in training on Thursday and you have a chat with him on Friday morning, he's perfect the next day. Mm. And as you say, I I think he was the number one person in the Premier League in terms of running kilometres for the whole league. And, And that gives you an idea of his personality and his character, but it also gives you an idea of, who Ralph takes up and puts on that pedestal. Look at this guy. You know, I, I remember bumping into him in the corridor after a game. We played, I think, three games in a week, and he was the only one that paid all three. And he said to me, I just wish we could play more often. And, and he's, he's one of those people that will just run through four. So I think yeah. that sets the agenda of what Ralph wants. But getting back to the start of your question, you know, that, that was really about securing our future. Okay, so we set out a plan of where we want to go. Now it's about securing our future. Get James on a long-term deal. He's captain. He's providing leadership. Will Smallbone's new contract, Jake Bokins, Nathan Teller, uh, you know, and there will be more that will come that make sure we're clear about who we want for the future. And again, it's not about, you know, cutting people out or saying one person's better than another person. It's about building a strategic view of how the squad will evolve over two or three years. But mm. but Will Smallbone's contract and, and Jake's and stuff are equally as important to show that we believe in these players and we believe they'll be part of our future. You obviously mentioned earlier, Martin, about players being keen to to sign new contracts and things like that. Certainly don't expect you to give anything confidential away. But speaking of new contracts, there was a report earlier this week that indicated the club are negotiating a new deal with Saints player of the season, Danny Ings. I think Danny himself, when talking about it at England training, said he'd read or heard something similar. I'm sure he was playing it cool. But are you able to kind of confirm to us whether that is the case and, and if so you know how far down the road it is etc cetera, etc cetera, or if not you know if it's not being discussed how high up on the list of priorities it may be and I, I think probably just to add to that something I've thought about while you've been talking is I'm sure fans would be interested with Ryan Bertrand as well because he seems to be a player yeah. that's been reinvigorated under Ralph Yeah so obviously I'm aware of that, that Danny speculation and I think you've been saying to think that we wouldn't want to do that so but, but let's go back one stage and go you know, we are in a rebuilding stage and we need to get the team winning. And I think Ralph at that point, I think publicly said that on, on Adam's show that mm. we weren't going to give out a new contract until we started winning. Yeah. And that was his view on life. Forget about it. Don't care if you've got one week left or 
five years left. So let's get back to winning. Let's make sure everybody's on this journey. Um, and people like Shane, for example, waited for that. Mm-hmm. You know, he understood that the team had to start winning before he got his contract and he waited and he was very respectful. Um, and we only really had one issue in that area, which was transparent and, and he's now left. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think from that viewpoint, that was stage one. And then stage two was, okay, now we're going to start building the team and doing those contracts. And then the pandemic came. So I think we are still muddling our way through that and working out where we stand, um, you know, with investment and squad building for the future. But, you know, I can't really talk about the, the private talks with Danny, but mm. what I can say is that, you know, we've got a series of players that are in a position where they will eventually need a new contracts, and we are looking at all of those. And you rightly touched on Ryan, who I think is a really good, you know, barometer, if that's the right word, of how the team's doing. You know, mm. Ryan has been reinvigorated, is performing every week, wants to be here. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you'll see some movement there. Um, Oral Romero's only got one year left and is back in the team and looking, you know, better and fitter and stronger than ever. Um, you know, Danny himself, I think, has, you know, transformed himself physically by working harder. And we've, we've got a series of players that I think are very, very important um, to our future. Our view was to get James done first because he's captain and then we're looking at the others. And Danny is obviously a special case, but he's not really any more special than, you know, the other guys in the team that we need to get sorted. Mm. Yeah, you men- mentioned the important players there. Um, got, got a few questions about some that are maybe not quite as important. Um, sure. In terms of the first team, when you came in, you probably had to pick up some of the uh, uh, not-so-good work done by uh, previous regimes, not least the expensive signings who haven't worked out. So I'm thinking Lamina, Carrillo, Hoyt, Elianusi. What's kind of the policy with regarding whether to try and sell a player or loan a player out? Because uh, I was thinking... Elianusi went out on loan to Celtic straight away. There didn't seem to be any sort of any sort of delay in that. Not a thought of trying to sell him. He just went out on loan straight away. So I was just wondering what the sort of policy was with regards to contract length and players that Ralph doesn't see as part of the first team picture. Yeah, so I think you pick on the right one there, which is yeah, Elianusi is in a slightly different position. He's got three years left on his contract. He's a player with real talent. He's not a player that you know, we've had considerable problems with. He's just somebody that didn't quite happen at that moment. And he went to Celtic and he did pretty well. So my personal feeling is if he'd gone to Celtic and hadn't got injured and had played the whole season the way he had, he would either be back playing with us or been sold on at a reasonable value. I think in the end, three things triggered that. One is that he was injured for half a season or however long it was and wanted more time at Celtic. Two, we had a pandemic, so we had no idea you know, what was going to happen and whether we'd end up not being able to sell anybody. And three, because he's got three years left, the end of this year, he'll still be in a position where he can come back and contribute to us um, or, or be sold on at a reasonable value. So I think I think that one's probably quite straightforward. I think to answer your question about the others, um, the policy would be if they're not part of our plans and, and we don't believe they will be in the future, we prefer to sell them. Um, but you can't always do that, and particularly not in a no. pandemic where, most of the clubs in Europe have had all their assets stripped. And I, and I know you know this because you're a close follower of um, football. But if you're not part of the Premier League, the money issues across the other leagues are, are pretty large. So I don't think we're, we're telling any secrets that someone like Wesley would probably rather be playing elsewhere. And we'd probably you know, prefer that also. But we've got to find the right home to him that works for us um, and for him. But they've all been you know, professional and dignified and, and are training in the proper way until we find the right place. You know, Mario's gone to Fulham now, which would be a good chance for him to show what he can do. And then obviously Harry's gone permanently, slightly different position. And um, obviously we wish him really well. That's a great club for him. Mm. Yeah. 
In midfield, we've sold both Pierre and Harrison Reed. Does Ralph think we have enough strength in depth in that position, or will the club be looking to strengthen there or anywhere else for that matter before the transfer window closes? Yeah, I think um, there's many different ways to answer that, but but I think you know we we were winning games with the team we had um, consistently without Pierre, so we're not scared to go into the league as we are. Um, I don't believe that we would consider ourselves to have enough strength and depth um, if we picked a few injuries up, I think would be our, our view on it. And I yeah. think you then have to marry that with the conversation about the transfer market. So, so we had a very clear view, which is let's get those two in that we definitely needed um, and then let's make sure we make the next decision right. So so what you won't be seeing from us is any knee-jerk, uh, we need cover here, let's just do that. We've got to find the right person that will add long-term value for us. Uh, we still yeah. got another four weeks, I guess, and um, it'll be time. But I think I think I'd be surprised if you didn't see somebody coming in to provide cover in that position, especially. But I think overall, we'd rather have a slightly smaller squad of people that Ralph really believes in um, than go too deep um, and create more and more problems for ourselves. But you know, I think yeah. I think the way we would view it at the moment is if we got through the whole season without any injuries, we'd be absolutely fine as we are. But you can't for a moment believe that's going to happen. No, absolutely. Just finally, on the on-the-pitch issues, um, Danny Ings and James Ward-Prowse are both currently with the England squad, having received deserved call-ups. Is there a sense around the club now that with those call-ups, Saints are kind of back on the map a bit, having fallen off for a couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think Ralph might have a slightly different view because obviously he's not got everybody with him this week working, which is hard to him. But um, but no, I think I think so. I think you know specifically on Danny. What a great story is somebody who had those awful injuries and just believed in himself and worked harder and harder and harder. And, and James, similar, really, just believes in his own ability and he keeps working and a thrill for both of them. But yeah, I actually do think it's um, a really big indicator. This club was at its best historically when we had four or five people in the England under-21s and two or three in the, the full team. I think that's when we're at yeah. our best. You know, we average eight or nine or ten, you know, UK-based players in every game last year. And I, I think that's part of who we are and I think yes if you look at the players we've got in the other 21 squads England, Ireland, Scotland and the, and the national teams that's a good indication of where we are um, and I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head actually but we've got considerably more people away this week than we would have had nine months ago and that's because we're doing better on the pitch so yeah I think it is a really good indicator and that includes Stuart Armstrong and Yannick mm-hmm. Vestergaard's back in and Shane Long's back in Will Smallbone, Michael Obafemi off with that. You know, there's, there's a lot of young players um, yeah. off with their national teams, and that's a really good sign for the future. Yeah. Right, let's finish this uh, Red and White Insight, Martin, with just a, a couple of questions ahead of the upcoming 2020-21 season. Um, as CEO, Martin, are you allowed to get excited and optimistic before a new campaign starts, or do you have to maintain a level of decorum? Depends <laughs> <laughs> whether you're asking publicly or privately. Um, the truth to that is that, I think it's really hard to watch games when you're you're in my role. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the season ahead. Oh, I don't love going to the games and sitting there and feeling that pressure, but you sort of love the buzz of afterwards. And, and, and the buzz of afterwards of winning is, is great. Losing is really, really hard, but I do enjoy the process of trying to turn that around. So, mm. but, I, but I think, you know, to answer the question, I think you're really asking, which is, you know, do we have a, a sense of optimism? I think we do. Mm. Um, I, I, again, I go back to what I was saying at the beginning that, for this club to be successful and for what everybody dreams of, we have to stay in this group that we're in now year after year and that will allow us to be where we want to be. So, so that's really target number one, that stability bit, right? Make sure that we are doing the same things and pushing forward in the same way every year. That is how we'll be successful um, and, I'm, and I'm sure about that. And I think the other thing that's important for us is to get a good start. So having yeah. 
Mm. I'm not able to go back in my brain and see, but I think in the last few years we've had a, a tough start each time, mm. and then you're always on the back foot. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, get forward again. But I think a good start, based on what we've done in the past, based on what happened in lockdown, which I've got a really deep understanding of why we we're successful versus other clubs, and we've replicated that exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't, for example, have a pre-season this year. We just went straight back into it. We said we've had a short break. Everyone's gone off and seen their families, and now we're back. Mm. We didn't sort of go through the same processes. So I think that good start's important. And then I think I think the other thing which has become really evident to me is we are probably not going to win the league. You know, probably not. <laughs> and therefore, you, you've got to create some <laughs> special moments, right? And for me, you know, going to Chelsea and winning or going to Leicester because of what happened winning mm. or beating Man City at home, we've got to keep doing that to keep the excitement and the engagement with the fans, but also internally. And you've got to drive the cup competitions. So I think you've got to look at it from a viewpoint of, stability, making sure everything's going in the right direction and then have those moments where you do go to Man City and beat them and give the fans that that moment and then look at it at the end of the year and see whether all those parts fitted together feels like success. I think in the end that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Just final question then, Martin, and equally important, but uh, I think, you know, as you say, just from a, a fan's point of view, I think we all feel that despite the uncertainty around, you know, the impact that coronavirus will have on the club and its finances, as you mentioned, and the, the fact, um, you know, we still can't get to games. Obviously, I know you, you went through that with Adam on Solent last week. It does feel, I think, like there's a, a great buzz around Ralph and the team again, but obviously it's not just the men's side, as you alluded to right at the start of this. Um, Saints women's team, led by Marianne, obviously had a, a wonderful campaign last year so how important is it for the club to keep pushing our women's football forward as well yeah, I think it's really important and um, you know I think we all felt desperately sorry for them because they were cruising towards promotion and then had it taken away from them as, as many clubs you know around the country did and that that's really tough and you know we try and, and, and look at both teams in the same way and during the pandemic that was difficult and, and, and that was the first time that we really ended up saying oh yeah, we're all coming back to training today and then we go, oh yeah, but the women can't. And I, I think that was really tough for them. Um, they're such a full of life, energetic, positive bunch of people and to have that taken away was really, really tough for them. So I think that was a, a backward step that we've got to fix. But you know, I think, I think we have a view of the women's and girls game really simply, which is it will be as important and um, as high profile and as awesome as the men's game at some point. And whether that's going to be three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it's going to get there, in in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we've got to invest in it and make sure we're ahead of it. We absolutely see it as an opportunity to win, uh, to be successful, to continue the Southampton Way story. And and again, we sometimes joke internally, but you know we've got more chance of winning a title there than we have with the men's at the moment. And we've got to invest in it. And we've got to you know put both sets of skills through both football programmes and hope they can complement and help each other. But... You know, it's, it's not just something we feel we ought to do. It's just an incredibly positive thing to have around the club mm. um, from an internal perspective because it feels new and it feels exciting and it's, um, it's a great thing to watch, actually. Yeah. Well, Martin, it's been great to talk to you in this first Red and White Insight, Life Inside Our Club. Thank you again for your time and, you know, most importantly, I think, for your honest answers and obviously continued hard work. And we very much look forward to catching up with you again later on in the season and wish you and the club all the best for the new season ahead. No problem. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope everybody gets a good start to the season and enjoys it. And um, more than anything, we hope we'll be back in the stadium in a few months' time and hearing that fun noise when we score goals. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. 
Well, that's it for this week's Total Saints podcast. As always, big thanks to Dan, Glenn and Steve. Also, a big thank you again to Mr. Simmons for his time. We look forward to catching up with him again later on in the season and also to undertaking our next Red and White Insight in October. We'll be back again next week where we'll review the Crystal Palace game, look ahead to Spurs' visit to St. Mary's and hopefully welcome a certain Austrian on as well, one who we all love, and I don't mean Arnold Schwarzenegger. Until then, we all wish Saints the very best for 2020-21 season. Let's make it a good one. Have a great week. Up the Saints and keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.